Today's episode is presented by Vaya. Vaya was founded with the goal of building an affordable everyday wristwatch that blends tasteful design with extreme durability and functionality. Vaya returns a sense of dignity to affordable wristwatches and are built to last. Vaya is a true American watch company specialising in both quartz and automatic watches. Vaya is offering our listeners 15% off if you use the code PODGO15. That's P-O-D-G-O-1-5. Go to VayaWatches.com to learn more and get your new timepiece today. And because we've got so many American listeners, it's a great way to support the show. All right, thanks to Vaya, and let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Regen, the e-racing podcast. I am your host Dino and joining me, a man who is basically a Formula E prophet, correctly calling the podium for Rene Rast, it's Chris Salsby. Hello Dino, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm very happy to be back, happy to be chatting Formula E once again. Yeah, agreed, it's been a long old time. Season 6 is done, Rene Rast has a podium and yeah, I feel like Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> wow have you died and come back to life or are you um... uh, no i haven't risen yet um okay yeah still in bed I'm still in bed right right well um i got up so i have risen at six in the morning to do this so um yeah cracking ready to go had my coffee um yes uh now chris we've, we've got to get this out of the way correctly calling the podium um, I didn't think would I didn't think it would happen, but here we are. So I'm gonna roll the audio from a couple of episodes ago, and we'll yeah talk about it. Thoughts on how it'll go, Chris? I think it's an exciting signing. I mean, he's raced in Formula E before he did the Berlin race in season two, when it was at Alexander Platz and um, the other one, the other Platz, which I can't remember. Um, all the Platzes. And he was actually quite good. He was driving for a Guri. He didn't finish the race because he was hit by Bruno Senna. But he was decent. And it was the first time he'd raced single-seaters in a long time. And it will be this year. But I think he'll be he'll do quite a good job, in all honesty. Uh, he's a very quick and talented driver, as we know from the DTM. Uh, he's very handy behind the wheel of a racing car. And I, yeah, I, I think he will impress a lot of people. And yeah, I, I think he'll. Well, it wouldn't be hard to overtake Daniel Apton in the drivers' championship. I hate to say it, but I think he'll finish ahead of Apton. Oh, really? Formula E for uh, six seasons. Um, I'm okay. Big prediction here. Hold on to your seat. Rast will get a podium in Berlin. No, no <laughs> way. Nah. I'm Rast sorry. Rast will win the championship. <laughs> Uh, a podium. I a podium. I, no, I, I think it's there because Audi are very good in Berlin. They are very He's got good. A, a test coming up in July. I mean, he'll develop, and he'll. It's such a quick learning curve. I think he'll do it. I really do. And if I do, I'll be shocked. If he does do it, I'll be shocked. So, after that, what what called you? To to just Rene Rast and 
I mean, I'm just in awe because, you know, it didn't happen in, in uh, race four. Um, it happened in the second to last race. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty bold prediction. Yeah, I was blown away when it actually happened. Um, I never thought it would happen. When I said it, I thought, oh, what an idiot saying that. He'll never do it. It's such a high caliber field. It's Berlin. He's never driven that car before. It can't possibly get a podium. So when he got that podium, I was very happy. I was actually shouting at my TV going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. But the thing is, listening back to that audio, I remember saying, you know, that if that happens, I'll, I'll. And I was going to say, I will get like a tattoo of Rene Rast on me. And I'm so glad I didn't say that um, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I don't want Rene Rast on my body. Um, Why so, yeah. not? I mean, he's a yeah, good looking I mean, dude. I mean, he's the greatest of all time now, isn't he? Let's face it. <laughs> because, I mean, what a podium it was, too. I mean, I never I never thought it would happen. I'm as shocked as you. And, you know, I actually predicted something correctly, um, which is even crazier. Well, I unfortunately predicted points for Neo, and they let me down. Um, yeah. So, Oliver Turvey, if you're listening, shocking, mate, shocking. <laughs> Um, poor form. You're poor, a great driver, poor. but poor form. So, if you want to come on the show and explain yourself, um, <laughs> happy to. Um, that would be great. But yes, um, not all predictions are winners. So, um, yeah, we will have to wait until next season. Uh, that's it for Formula E for season six. Yeah, all, all over and done with now. Uh, it's weird to think because. We started this in November last year. We've raced. Well, we've barely raced. Let's face it. <laughs> and there was this massive five-month gap. And then in the space of nine days, that's it. It's done. Click of your finger, blink of an eye, finished. And that's season six wrapped up. And that's bonkers. We won't race again until January. Yeah, I know. Um, no December coming in this time. It's uh, all starting in 2021. Um, but firstly, before we continue, we need to media of the week, which I'm sure the listeners have been missing, um, getting their bi-weekly or monthly fix of things to watch, listen to, uh, read or whatever. So my media of the week is a Netflix show called Little Animals um, and Little Animals embark on huge adventures across the US. Uh, and dramatic nature series that explores their hidden worlds and epic survival stories. The first episode is the, I don't know, some little kangaroo rat. Really cool. Um, and it's based in Arizona. Okay. And uh, so it's got the got the cowboy vibes. I'm not sure if that's a real thing or it's just dramatised or whatever, if there are cowboys in Arizona. It was quite funny. Um yeah, there's this, uh, well, spoilers, um, a snake steals his home and then he lures this hawk to have a showdown with the rattlesnake. So oh. there you go. Interesting. Um, it is it is dramatised and there's a voiceover with, you know, what the what this little kangaroo rat's feeling and stuff, which, yep, okay, cool, but worth a watch. Worth a watch. Um, have a look at episode one and see if it's your thing i'll have a peek at that and uh so chris do you have one so um yeah my major of the week 
Um, I don't. Um, but I can nevertheless rattle something up like that snake. Um, um, so my media of the week is a program that I've been watching for many years, actually. I grew up watching the Antiques Roadshow now. And, you know, I haven't, I don't have a media of the week because I've been watching Formula E so much. But my media of the week is the Antiques Roadshow, which is usually on every Sunday. I don't know if it's on uh, at the moment. And it's on in the UK. I'm sure if you really, really, really want to watch this, you could find it somewhere. But it's about a roadshow about antiques, really. It's what it, you know, its name's very good in that respect. It it does what it says in the tin. And <laughs> it's about random people who have objects of value that get them valued at a roadshow. That's it. And it's quite good. And it's really fun. Um, yeah, I like antiques. It's interesting. You know, you learn about the object, the history of the object, and if there's if it's valuable, if it's not. And the presenting team's good, and the antiques people are good. So, I mean, why wouldn't you want to watch that? At the end of the day, it's you know, it's top quality television on a Sunday evening. That has to be one of the most British media of the weeks I've heard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have seen it, and um, my thoughts on it is it's actually really interesting um it's it's also it's also good to see like these people that oh yeah my grandma passed it down to my mum and you know it finally made its way to me and what how much is it worth oh this is going in auction you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) does it have any sentimental to value to you oh i could never part with this you know you can guarantee you'll be palming off your 10 grand watch (laughs) Yeah, oh, I could never, never part with it. And do you have a auction uh, coming up? Because uh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, just out of curiosity, just mm. out of curiosity, and I mean, there's not a lot I wouldn't sell to be fair. So good on these people um, that have looked after these things for so long um, and able to palm them off to collectors or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Moving on, uh, we have some news. Pascal Verline going to Porsche. The worst kept secret in the world has now announced that season six is done. Uh, he's going to be driving at Porsche for season seven, replacing Neil Yanni. A great pickup for the German team, who now have the ability to score some mega points in the championship. And it's been no secret where he was going, but it really is an exciting move. Um, both drivers haven't won a race yet in Formula E. But that is definitely likely to change in season seven, Chris. So your thoughts on this one? I think it's a great signing from Porsche. I mean, we've known about it for months, but it's a great signing. Uh, So Pascal left Mahindra at the end of the race at home challenge because, I mean, I would have been fed up if I was racing in that thing. And yeah, he's going to Porsche next year. And Porsche this season uh, at least showcased that they have a semi-competitive package. Uh, Lotterer got 71 points, I want to say. And got eighth in the team's championship or something uh i might not be right on that i don't have notes in front of me but you know that's a good start that's a good start it's not mercedes eq by any means but bearing in mind one driver delivered and the other one was um off the pace um yeah that's a positive benchmark and i think getting pascal verline in that car will be very positive uh he got a 
pole position and podium in his first season with Mahindra. Uh, he certainly um, almost won a race in Mexico City before he uh, ran out of energy. So he oh, should have cool. at least one win. And I think he got Mahindra's best finish of this season as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good a good signing from them. And it at least gives them two drivers who are very capable in Formula E that can push for the high scoring points. And I think there'll be a team to uh, be reckoned with next season for sure. Yeah, yes, you were correct on the team standing and driver. Uh, but yeah, like like you say, it's um, for Porsche and also the team above them, you know, having one driver that's scoring all the points, it really has hampered them in the team's championship. Mm-hmm. So they almost beat Jaguar um, in their first season. So yeah, that's uh, it does say a lot. Um, so yes, an absolutely powerhouse lineup coming in for season seven. And talking about powerhouse lineups, a bird flying over to Jaguar for season seven. So Sam Bird, uh, he needs no introduction in Formula E. Um, he's been there from well, season one, I think. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is mega for him to be leaving DS Virgin. Uh, Envision Virgin and oh, DS Virgin. Um, throwback. <laughs> throwback. Uh, <laughs> yep, sad times. Um, throwback to so, happy yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Robin Frines is going to be joined by another Kiwi, Nick Cassidy, which I'm excited about. Uh, he got the fastest lap in the rookie test um, and... Yeah, he's just an all-round quick driver, especially we've seen him in Japan a few for the past few years, just nailing it. Um, multiple champion in a lot of those series, so it's a good pickup for Virgin. But yes, uh, Jaguar, that's going to be massive. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good signing from Jag, and it's the signing that they want as well. Um, because Jaguar have been in pursuit of uh, Sam Bird for many seasons now, but he's been very loyal to Virgin and he's been there, which is fair enough. You know, they're a very good team. But, you know, this Jaguar car, I think, will be more competitive than the Virgin car because it's a works outfit. That The Virgin team's a customer team to Audi. With Virgin, you might win a few races, but realistically... Compared to works outfits, you're never going to really challenge for the championship, if I'm honest. But with Jaguar, you just might be able to do that um, if they're able to get their act together, which in Berlin they didn't. But this is a great move from Jag as well, because, you know, since Jag entered Formula E, they've had Mitch Evans, and Mitch has been absolutely fantastic. He's demonstrated his true worth in Formula E, and he's shown that he's probably one of the best drivers on the grid at the minute. Um you know, deservedly so, but that shows. And the second seat of Jag for the past few seasons now hasn't really been anything stellar. They had um, Adam Carroll in season three. He didn't really perform. They ousted him, got Piquet Jr. in. And in season four, things were working really well for them. Um, you know, it was like clockwork, double points finishes. Piquet was up there. Mitch was up there. They were both delivering. But that ended very quickly. And I, I actually think season four is Jaguar's largest points holder date still. And P2 
Pika didn't deliver in season five. They got Lin in. Lin did a good job, but reliability robbed them. And Collado was pants this season. And yeah, it's finally, I don't want to say credible, but Jaguar have finally hired a credible teammate to Mitch Evans who they know will deliver. And I mean, personally, I think Alex Lynn should have had the drive um, for season six. I think a lot of people uh, agree with that. Um, it was a shock to Mitch Evans when he found out that Collado was going to be his teammate. And Collado didn't deliver. I don't think he was ever going to deliver for them, unfortunately. Because, um, you know, the, the turnaround and experience is just too much too soon. And yeah, and this uh, this is a great signing. They should have got Tom Dillman, you know. <laughs> Yes, that, Tom Dillman, bring it, bring that man back. Give him a drive. Shout out, Tom Dillman. I do hope he actually listens to this. That'd be awesome. Um, It'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we tag him on Twitter constantly, so he must must at least be, um, be annoyed or aware of of us at uh, yeah. at the stage. We should start like a, a campaign of you know hire Tom Dillman someone. Get him in at Dragon. No, 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 no one that, wants that's, that. That's sad. That, that's torture. Uh, yeah, that is sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, speaking of Dragon, before we get on to Moto E, uh, speaking of Dragon, Brendan Hartley, uh, one Kiwi out um, and one Kiwi in next season, replaced by Sergio Sete Camera. Um, so Hartley still the only point scorer for the team this season, uh, didn't even race the last six. Uh, I've got to say that what is, what continues to hamper Dragon? Cause they just can't get it right. You know, Nico Muller looked good in flashes, um, but the car is just way behind anything else on the grid apart from the Neo. I don't know. I think it's, I just think it's the team environment because I, <laughs> I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in the Dragon team. Same. Because I think it must be total anarchy every week. Um, I don't know if toxic's the correct word, but tumultuous seems correct. Um, up and down, very unpredictable, and massive random swings. And the thing is, I think, you know, in motorsport, you know how well a team is doing. Okay, you know if a team's good, if they can keep hold of their drivers. But when a team starts chopping and changing drivers very quickly in the blink of an eye without informing people, um, that's when you think, hmm, maybe maybe the team isn't that great. And for Dragon, I mean, this blew me away when I looked at it, because the amount of drivers that Dragon have gone through in the past few seasons is insane. In season four, who did they have? They had Neil Sharney, Jose Maria Lopez, and Jerome D'Ambrosio. Johnny left, D'Ambrosio left, then they got Max Gunther in for season five, booted him after three races, got Felipe Nazar in, booted him after three races, got Gunther back, Lopez turned around after that and said, I'm never racing in Formula E again, he's scarred. And then they hire an all-new driver lineup for this season in Hartley and Muller. Hartley leaves after five races, and then they get Sergio Sede Camera in. There's there's no consistency in that team. And I think if they want to really deliver, they need a driver who is willing to stay there for a long-term project. But that would never happen because it's Dragon. And, you know, 
don't like kicking drivers too much. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to know what's going on with that team because I mean, back in the day, Dragon were they're one of the top teams. You know, fair enough. Everyone was using the same powertrain in season one, but even in season two, when they had the customer Venturi car, they were good. You know, they beat the the works outfit, um, and they delivered. And I mean, at the start of the season, we did think. I mean, in preseason testing, anyway. Oh my god, we might see Dragon come back to form because they were really quick, quick in preseason. I know. In a one lap pace, the car was good, but they just need to hit reset because year on year they get worse. I every at the end of every season, I write my season summary for Motorsport Monday, and it's oh, Dragon had their worst season yet, and it's the same this year. And I've been saying that since season four now. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least that's one less thing to write about. Yeah, it's it's sad, really. It is. Because they're going the same way as Neo as well. I mean, hardly only got those two points in the first first or second race of the season because there were so many penalties. Uh, realistically, Dragon shouldn't have had points this year if nothing had gone wrong for the competitors in that second race. They... <sighs> Yeah, they just need to hit reset. Um, enough about them. How did you... What did you think of Tom Blomqvist coming in for the last two races? Tom Tom Blomqvist is another driver that deserves a chance, I think. Um, he was brought in to replace Collado, obviously. Um, and in that first race, he, he was looking quite good, wasn't he? Um, yeah. He hadn't driven the Jaguar car before and put it in Super Bowl, qualified sixth or fifth, I believe. And he points didn't materialise, but he outqualified Evans. You know, in the second race, he wasn't inside the top 10, but he, he gave everyone outside the top 10 a fair show, I think. Um, you know, bearing in mind, he hasn't done any laps in that jag as well, up until he hopped in the cockpit. I think that's encouraging, really, and I'd love to see him back in Formula E. Yep, absolutely. There's a lot of guys that you think should be back there. Yeah. Um, but there's also... A lot of the grid is performing quite well, um, comparative to their car. You know, who do you mm. kick out? That's it. This is the thing. It's um, put him in a dragon. <laughs> no, um, that no. would be harsh on Tom Blomqvist. Uh, yeah. Uh, second BMW for next season. Oh, yeah. He was there. You know, I'm sure mm-hmm. they could easily bring him back. Yeah, is he probably. still a BMW factory driver? I think so. Oh, well, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Do you think Sims is under threat, though? I think Sims is going to leave at the end of the season. Well, Mm. it's the end of the season. I think Sims is going to leave BMW, yeah. Right. He won't be on the grid. I think he'll be on the grid elsewhere, but I don't know where. I haven't thought about it. (laughs) Moto E. Moto E is back. Uh, it was back in July at Jerez. The first race was dominated by a familiar name, Eric Granado. Um, and of course, Moto E, quite short races, great entertainment. You could watch the whole season in one sitting, really, because they're only about eight minute races. So um, that's back. So we've got two to catch up on. Yeah. Have you been, been getting back into the Moto E? I haven't, sadly, but I'd love to. I need to cheer on, um, I was going to say Bradley Wiggins, but he, he rides uh, bicycles. So Bradley Smith, I believe, is the man. Bradley um, Smith is not in it this season. He, oh. I think he's I think he's actually in MotoGP. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh. yeah. 
I picked the right one last year, didn't I? Yep. So um, he's either in MotoGP or Moto2. One of the listeners out there will know. Um, but yeah, he's moved on to bigger and better things. Um, yeah, there's still still quite a few good names in there. Uh, so the Moto E entry list, Alex D'Angelis, Maria Herrera, Nicola Canepa, Xavier Simeon, Matteo Ferrari, um, still the only Ferrari to win a championship in a long time, <laughs> Josh Hook, Nicholas Tyrrell, Xavier Cardalis, Mattia Cassidy, Lucas Tulevic. Oh, Bradley Smith is there. My apologies. Haven't seen him. Anyway, uh, Jordi Torres, Eric Granado, Alessandro Zaccone, Mike Demiglio, Nicky Tuli, Tommaso Marcon, and Dominque Agurta, which That's he was. Uh, yeah, he won the second race. Spoilers, sorry. He's um, my favourite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, right, so. Go and watch that Moto E. It's back. Um, it'll take you probably half an hour to watch a couple of races, so it's really good value. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of overtaking. Uh, all the bikes are the same, so yeah, it's really on the driver or rider. Some final questions. Uh, firstly, what happened to Jaguar in Berlin? Uh, technical failures on the side of Collado and just might in the midfield cost Mitch a chance at the title. They finished seventh overall and a pretty pretty shocking Berlin six races from them. You've got to say, what what went wrong, do you think, for them? I'd love to know um, because I think it was quite embarrassing, actually. If I was at Jaguar Racing, I would feel embarrassed about how the team performed in Berlin because they left, you know, it, halfway through the first half of the season – a quarter in, basically. Um, facts, quick maths. Um, they were looking good. Mitch got the pole in Santiago, I believe. Um, he finished third despite his car like failing entirely on him. Then he dominated in Mexico City, one of the most dominant races we've seen in Formula E. Then knackered his qualifying in Marrakesh. And then he fought through the field to finish sixth or something, which is the most positions ever gained in a Formula E race before which is an incredible performance. And he was second in the championship, and everyone thought, I mean, I certainly thought that Mitch was going to win the title. Um, I was convinced he was going to do it. And then the team were absolutely nowhere. And it was just, it, it isn't the Jaguar racing we know. It was like a Jaguar racing of old, wasn't it? Uh, it was just, there was a lot going wrong uh, at every stage, seemingly. And especially for James Collado as well. I felt so sorry for the guy um, because in that first race of the week, everything went wrong for him. Um, there was a software fault in the first practice session of the morning. This is just like a, a roadmap here of what went wrong. Yeah, the software fault in the first practice session of the morning. Jaguar didn't know what that was, so they changed his entire powertrain Got it repaired within the 45-minute window, so he still went back out on track. After three corners, the car broke down. It had the red light on it, which meant that it wasn't in a safe state, which meant that they had to change the battery on the car, which gave him a 60-place grid penalty once they changed everything, so inverters, motor generator unit, and battery. 
So he was starting at the back of the grid, and the first lap he, he did in Berlin was his full-power 250-kilowatt lap. Yeah, everything went wrong for Collado. And it was absolutely shocking. It was. It was, it was rubbish. And I've, got, I've got a stat here for you. In the last four races... Okay, so the first two races, the you know, backwards, and even I was having a tough time. Like, something's wrong here. The cars are going around the wrong way. But, mm-hmm. yep, so the reverse track, um, those two might have been an anomaly. But the last four races, they were outscored by everyone except Venturi, Dragon, and Neo. It says it all, e- doesn't it? Everyone else absolutely destroyed them. <laughs> it... it- Ah, oh, it's impossible to believe, um, because the Jaguar racing we saw before the lockdown and the shutdown and the suspension, it would have been impossible to believe. And Jaguar has hasn't really performed well in Berlin in the past. I mean, you know, apart from if you're Alex Lynn, you do perform well in Berlin, and you show that you should have a full time driving Formula E. Correct. Um, but it was crap. <laughs> It was awful. And I think they were shocked as well, though. They turned up thinking they were going to be there or thereabouts. And they weren't. They might as well have been racing the IPC trophy cars because it was so much slower. And I think they were at a loss. And a lot of teams have improved, clearly. I mean, DS Tachita made massive inroads or outroads because they were already the team to beat. But then there were a few teams, I think, it came as a shock, you know. Venturi certainly struggled. They they didn't showcase their old form, and Jaguar was the other team that experienced that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was if it's lockdown or you know, but certainly a, a thorough investigation needs to go into needs to follow into that. If I was Sam Bird, I'd have a bit of a sweat on as well because I'd be very nervous about joining that team next season. Yeah, if if Porsche scored four points, they would be above them in the championship. And that's crazy. That that makes it even more terrifying because, yeah, Yeah. it's mad. Something went catastrophically wrong in Berlin. And I think their best finish was seventh. Over the six races or something? Yeah, it didn't go well. It did not go well. Um, Yeah. The other one, uh, BMW getting beaten by Virgin because round 9, 10 and 11, no points for them. Just just fell to bits after Maximilian Gunther's win. It's the same case for BMW, really, because they're another team that failed to really perform. They got the 25 from Gunther's win. And I think he started from pole as well, so um, 25, 26, 28 points, <laughs> counting on his fingers like an amateur. And then I think Sims got one point, and that's another question of what even went wrong. But we, we saw this last season as well. BMW started off very strongly last season and then showcased like a total inability to seal the championship. <laughs> Um, again, you know, and that's another team that needs to investigate what went wrong because they certainly didn't live up to expectation because the BMW was one of the quickest cars probably on the grid 
I mean, certainly they were very dominant in the first three races, but it's like someone flicked a switch in Berlin and went, ha no. Yeah, they uh, they almost lost out to Audi as well, which were yeah. way behind, but uh, round 10 and 11, Audi scored 16 and 20 points and just, just held them off by four points. So um, let's have a rundown. Obviously, Dias to Cheetah, 244 167 for Nissan, 147 for Mercedes, 121 for Envision Virgin, and that's a good recovery from them from that team actually. So that's that's more than encouraging on their side of the garage. BMW 118, Audi 114, 81 for Jag, 79 for Tag, Porsche, Mahindra 49, and to be honest, that's that's a good recovery because they were well behind Rocket Venturi. Uh, Venturi dropping down to 10th, Geox uh, Dragon, and then Neo. So there's quite a few gaps, um, especially from 79 to 49, um, and then obviously from 44 and 10th down to 2, and then 0 for 11th and 12th place. Standout team of the season? Who's your Who's your standout team of the season obviously Dias to Cheetah with those two drivers with the team we expected another title I'm giving it to Nissan yeah it's a good one the twin MGU setup they had to really go back to the drawing board um that was outlawed so single MG- MGU um and they've made it work they've obviously done a lot over the lockdown and some big points so they'll be very happy with that that's true, actually. Nissan is a very good call. I'm going to have to say Neo. Uh, <laughs> bringing the flat in the back of the pack. And obviously, you know, the rename to the triple three. You know, the three is bringing all the luck within the point standings. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it has to be between Diaz to Cheetah because total dominance it was incredible uh, to see that team, um, you know, and once more they showed that they're the best team in Formula E. But then Nissan as well, with the whole technical shakeup as well, because they'd they developed their season six powertrain, and then all of a sudden it was your twin MGU is banned, and then they like go completely back to the drawing board and redesign the thing, and to finish second in the team's championship, off the back of that setback is impressive. But then I think I'm going to say Mercedes EQ because, you know, it's their first full season on the grid. Uh, obviously, they had that site a season with uh, HWA Race Lab, um, but it was their first powertrain designed in Bricksworth. Um, and, you know, they had this they had this start, which was encouraging. You know, they got the double podium in, uh, in Diria, and it was, oh, that's good. Was it a fluke? And then things weren't quite going right in the following seasons, the following races, sorry. But then in that final race, I mean, total team control, a 1-2 to end the season. I think it's very good performance. And they came out as the top German team as well, which is one of the big strategic fights of the season as well, because they're up against BMW, Audi and Porsche. And for... A brand new team that certainly beat Audi, which is one of the powerhouses of Formula E, and then BMW, which were winning races. Yeah, I think that's a very good show. I think Mercedes have to be my team of the year. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, we forgot to talk about... There's a, a couple of things, but um, we forgot to talk about Felipe Massa uh, leaving Venturi, um absolutely destroyed by his teammate Eduardo Mortara. Mortara on 41 points, Massa on three. Uh, it just didn't come together for him this season. Um, absolutely struggling all the way through. Uh, that seat is going to be a very good one um, to potentially get. Hashtag Tom Dillman. Um, <laughs> he's raced for them before. Come on. Yeah, your thoughts on Massa's season, Chris? I think it was a, a difficult season, wasn't it? And I was actually listening back uh, the other day uh, for, you know, nostalgia reasons. I listened back to um, for Felipe Massa's first ever press conference in Formula E as a Venturi racing driver. And he was very optimistic and he had very high hopes. And I think season five was encouraging for him. You know, he got that podium. He actually got more points finishes than Mortara as well. But he didn't manage to beat him in the standings. And this year, there was a lot of ex- high expectations. Obviously, the Venturi car with the Mercedes powertrain partnership which is fantastic. And things just didn't gel, did they? But I think with, with Felipe as well, I think, I mean, by the end, we heard um, there were a few quotes published online where he'd kind of lost, felt fallen out of love with Formula E because of the energy management side and the energy reduction and the safety car and full course yellow conditions. And he was like, you know, we're, we're racing drivers. We're not here to manage energy. We're not mechanics and engineers is on top of that. And I think he'd just kind of fallen out of love with Formula E. But looking at his season on a whole, he was very unlucky. He was very unlucky. And I think in Berlin, he should have scored more points. You know, I mean, in Diria, he got a penalty. Santiago, in Santiago, the team was doing quite well. You know, they were on course for like a fourth or fifth place finish. And then he was hit. He made contact with Mortara and then was hit by apt as well. And that was his best finish of the year. But then didn't really gel in Mexico city and Marrakesh. But then in Berlin, you know, the amount of problems he had, uh, fair enough. He did crash when battling Van Dorn for the points in the first race, um, quite spectacularly. But, you know, he got that drive through penalty for the incident with Degrassi. And I mean, that was harsh. Uh, it was Degrassi's fault. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, and Massa got the penalty. And then, again, he had software issues. He had um, strategy miscalculations, I think, um, or at least in that one race where he didn't finish because... Um, yeah, he ran out of energy. He ran out yeah. of energy. And time and time again, it was just bad luck. And he, his qualifying performances were good enough. And he, should, he deserved to leave Berlin with more than what he did. But, yeah, I think it's fair enough, really. Um, it's his decision, and if things aren't gelling in the championship, um, then they're not gelling in the championship, really. It was it was good to see him back uh, racing again, but yeah, I think that's it. And um, I mean, he'll he'll look back on it fondly, and um, you know, he might be an advisor, or you know, he might be announced as like a re- reserve, or yeah, precisely. I think he's a great asset to that team, and. You know, he may not have achieved what he wanted to, but, you know, I mean, the standout moment of his time at Venturi was without a doubt that podium in Monaco because it's their home race as well. And, I mean, that memory right there must be very special. <coughs> so, 
Mm, yeah. Yep. Didn't work out, but I think he'll look back at it with happy memories and go, you know what? It was it was interesting for season five. I had fun, and then season six was awful. But so driver standings: uh, Sergio Sede Camera, Tom Blomquist, Ma, Nico Muller, and Oliver Turvey on zero. Oliver Turvey gets twenty fourth because uh, he obviously got the highest up the grid out of everyone there, the highest finish. Um, two points for Brendan Hartley. Massa three. Apt on eight points. Uh, eight points also for Neil Jani. 10 for Collado, 14 for Verline, um, almost almost beating D'Ambrosio and Lynn, who are the next two up for Mahindra, 16 and 19. Rene Rast with 29 points. Yeah. What a machine. Um, it's impressive. Yeah. Uh, 41 for Mortara. Sims on 49. Didn't work out for him. Robin Freins, I thought he would be higher up the standings with 58. Nick DeVries, 60. 63 for Bird. Maximilian Gunther on 69. Lotterer, 71. 71 for Evans. 77 for Degrassi. 83, Roland. Buemi, 84. That was close. Uh, 86 for Jean-Eric Verne. 87, sneaking past him, Stoffel Van Dorn. And then, of course, way out in front. He didn't even bother with the last two races, really. 158 points, Antonio Felix da Costa. He had it wrapped up super early on um, and then managed it from there. An amazing, amazing victory. We we didn't expect, well, we knew he could do it, but we thought uh, Mitch or someone else might have him. But no. So da Costa, yeah, a worthy champion, Chris. Oh, absolutely, I think. Yeah, Antonio Felix da Costa deserved it. Um, and, you know, he really demonstrated his class. I think last season when he did sign with Diaz de Cheetah, uh, at the end of last season, sorry, I think everyone kind of knew something special is waiting in the wings here. Because Diaz de Cheetah are a fantastic esteemed team. They're brilliant. And sean Eric Vern has, you know, done fantastic things with them as well. So when you take Antonio Felix da Costa, who's a top-class driver in motorsport, and put him in that team environment with Formula E's only double champion and the reigning one to boot, um, something special is going to happen. You, you know when something special is going to happen in a motorsport. And it's one of those team pairings that have potential. Yeah, I think Antonio Felix da Costa was always going to be the champion, no matter what happened. I think even if coronavirus had never happened and we did hold the full calendar, he still would have come out on top. I really do think that. And he's driven with such consistency and confidence. But, I mean, there's been fireworks between him and his teammate in Vern, but he respected Vern a lot. And yeah, that you know, in some races it didn't go quite according to plan. And I don't that's not the costa's fault. I think that's the team's lack of management and you know, failing to failure to define team roles that was the cause of that. But it fully deserved. Fully deserved at the end of the day. It was the most dominant championship we've seen to date. He made history. There was a point where he had a one hundred percent podium record this season. Uh, towards the end, after his third consecutive win over the course of 2020, hadn't actually finished below second 
um, at the checkered flag, which is insane. And that kind of consistency and that kind of dominance is it's impressive. And I can't think of a more deserving champion, really. Um, and I'm glad he won it. I'm very impartial, obviously, with my views, but you know he really deserved it with with his drives this season. And yeah, just yep. above and beyond the rest of the field, really. You know, there was a point in Berlin where I think we all knew that the only person who could stop him was Vern, um, because that car was so quick. But even then, Vern fell short uh, massively. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there'll, there'll be many more to come for uh, De Costa in the future. Yes, I think so too. I think, yeah, Vern, by bringing him to the team, has really put himself up against it, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's a good test for him though, so we'll see if he can come back and uh, yeah, take the title again in Season 7. But uh, speaking of Season 7, who do you think has put themselves uh, in the shop window for a drive? Tom Blomquist, James Collado, Neil Jarney or Brendan Hartley, any of those that you could see moving into a drive? Uh, Alex Lynn, um, I think. Ah, yeah, because he's only sure. contracted to the yeah, six races. Six races, yeah. Um, I think if Mahindra don't sign up Alex Lynn, they're stupid. Um, let's face it, because I mean his qualifying performances in Berlin were mental. It was incredible. And we, I mean, we're big fans of Alex Lynn on this show. Let's face it, we always sing Alex Lynn's praises, but it's for a reason. Because Alex Lynn is a flaming fast driver, and why he is he, why he doesn't have a full time drive in Formula E, I'll never know. You know, I mean, inexcusable from Jack not to sign him uh, for season six. But if Mahindra don't take him for next year, I'm sorry, there's something wrong in motorsport. Because that speed and the points that he scored as well. You know, that Mahindra car wasn't that good this year, let's face it. But he almost outscored D'Ambrosio in his time in Berlin. And D'Ambrosio did all of the races this season. Um, And if that doesn't showcase yeah he's directly in the shop window isn't he he is you know he's just oh sign him please someone sign him um because he's the most deserving driver not on the formula e grid to not have a full-time race seat um the guys since since his debut in season three where he got pole on debut for virgin he's been special and it didn't pan out in season four Jaguar shelved them in season five for some reason for the one they call Collado. And yeah, he, he should be back on the grid full time for season seven, I think. Yeah, I've got to say it's, <laughs> I mean, Venturi is going to be sniffing around. So Mahindra better get their act together. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's absolutely criminal. He doesn't have a drive. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I forgot about him for a second. He must, uh, that just must be the case. That's the thing. He's so good, you automatically think he has a drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no one signs him because, ah, oh, he's already signed, let's be honest. We'll just yeah. move on to someone else. That's why um, he hasn't driven full time. Exactly. Like, oh, he's exactly. Yeah. Um, Brendan Hartley, do you think he'll be back in Formula E? I probably don't think so. I think he's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so, but I'd like to see him back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, right. So, final bits. Uh, thank you to Huzu Graphics on Twitter for doing the amazing episode artwork for this uh, episode. 
It is uh, a very special one um, celebrating Antonio Felix da Costa's victory um, and championship this season. Um, link in the show notes as always for all of our bits and pieces we talk about and uh, you can see um, Huzu Graphics work on our website regenracingpodcast.com and Instagram. Our Twitter is at regenracing, Instagram and uh, Facebook Regen E-Racing Pod. We can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, and thank you for continuing to listen. We appreciate the time you take to do so, considering the amount of uh, great motorsport podcasts there are out there on offer. And I'd like to shout out a couple. Um, so hit the apex, Jawad. He's always uh, a great listen, a friend of the show. Um, and he's always yeah interacting with us. So go and have a check out and listen to Hit the Apex podcast. Uh, the Outlap F1 podcast, uh, John, James, who sadly is a Ferrari fan, um, <laughs> and Andy, yeah, <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate, unfortunate at this stage. Um, they are awesome guys uh, based in the US, in Chicago, so uh, go and listen to them, that's always fun, um, and yeah, there's there's plenty of plenty of quality stuff out there. Um, there's some good stuff by the guys over at Motormouth. They do some awesome interviews with motorsport people. Um, and they actually did one with Roden Cars, who are sponsoring Jamie Chadwick. So oh, yes. uh, that um, that outfit is based in Christchurch in New Zealand, where I'm from. I could literally drive there in an hour. Tempted. Uh, yeah, so go and check that out. It is a great listen about his um the the uh, owner of road and cars um and his sort of uh, rise through the software world and yeah his his love for motorsports so that's a good one yeah there's plenty don't have time to shout out everyone but yeah love you all and with that i think we're done chris it's been a pleasure as always it's been a wrap it's been great fun to chat about formula e for the first time in a while um and yeah it's it's done the season's finished which is bonkers yeah it seems like um, yesterday since we were talking about oh you know where could we race to end the season will we end the season and now we have a champion and another one two champions yes um so we will be keeping up with the news um as it filters through uh what's happening with all of the driver movements and of course uh we will have moto e uh, extreme e is uh back online um with their news and driver announcements um so there'll be plenty to keep us going also uh shout out to a kiwi uh winning the final season of the ipace e trophy simon evans um a, a fantastic fantastic way to win the championship over Sergio Jimenez um, and yeah very proud Kiwi here um, and some great drives uh, throughout the season to get that get that all important championship for the final season of the IPC trophy mm. it was fully deserved and I think it's it's nice to see two different champions in the IPC trophy as well because Simon was the first driver to win an IPC trophy race. And uh, it's it's fitting for him to win the final championship uh, title that the season, the series will have as well. 
Um, see ya. Yeah. All right, listeners. Take it easy. Keep safe. Bye. Bye.